God's calling you to do something right now that no one is doing or no one's doing that much in the, the church and that's unique to evangelize, to form mothers, to get more souls for him. But at the end, it's your decision and you have to jump in. If you have an idea, if you have a way that you think you can serve or you see an underserved population that's out there, that's part of who we are as the lay faithful uh, to move into those places with the love of Christ. This is part of our vocation as the mm -hmm. laity. Like this is part of our baptismal calling. Go for it. I had an idea a little over two years ago. Like a lot of you, I like listening to podcasts and to radio shows that are more than just two people talking back and forth into a microphone. I like podcasts that draw you in with creative storytelling and music and high production values. But I wanted to find a podcast like that that was informed by a Catholic worldview and that told great Catholic stories. Basically, I wanted to listen to kind of a Catholic version of This American Life, but that didn't really exist. And then I realized, hey, I work in media. I am somewhat uniquely positioned to get the ball rolling on a podcast like that. Ultimately, that idea with the help of our podcast producers here at CNA became this podcast that you're listening to right now, CNA Newsroom. And I think this podcast is pretty good. This past summer, the Catholic Press Association gave CNA Newsroom a first-placed award, Podcast of the Year. So I guess other people like it too. It's the podcast that I always wanted to listen to, and it's really cool to be a part of producing it, especially because the real genius of this show comes from our producers and from CNA's journalists. I realized something with this show. There are a lot of important elements to building out an idea, but what you need most is a great team. You need somebody to tell you, hey, that is a great idea, we should make that. You also need somebody to poke holes in your plan and to strengthen your idea from a scribble into a fully-fledged reality. I'm proud of the producers of this show when they're willing to try a new idea, and I'm proud of them when they're willing to say why some harebrained idea that I have won't work. Both of those things are really important. That's what teamwork is all about. Still, as much as I like this show, I wouldn't really say that it makes me or our team entrepreneurs. An entrepreneur goes from idea to reality without the infrastructure that we started with. We do this project at work. Often, an entrepreneur starts with nothing and builds something really cool. And the people we're talking to this week, they're the real deal. This week on the show, we're bringing you the voices of several Catholic entrepreneurs who are on the edge of making it big. And in this case, making it big means creating a successful project, one that will draw people into the beauty of the Catholic faith. These three entrepreneurs have already, in some ways, created really cool, successful ministries. But there's a good chance that you haven't heard about them yet. Well, that's about to change, and here's why. In September, all three of the ideas you're about to hear about earned a $100,000 investment from the OSV Institute after pitching their ideas to a panel of judges, like Shark Tank style. That investment is probably going to be a game changer, and it will likely help launch all three of these great Catholic ideas into the mainstream. This week, you'll hear about them. You're listening to CNA Newsroom. I'm your host, J.D. Flynn, and our producer, Jonah McKeown, brought you these great stories. I think that there's an innovator in all of us. This is Jason Shanks, president of our Sunday Visitor Institute. 
There's a lot of great innovators and pioneers out there who have a heart for the church and a love for the Lord that are coming up with some great things. For over 100 years, the OSV Institute has been giving out grants. Jason says they've given out nearly $85 million, mostly to dioceses and parishes, over the past 106 years. This year, for the first time, they decided to give out some of the grants a little differently. Think about it like this Catholic shark tank, <laughs> you know, where you, you have all these ideas and then only three would win. They called it Demo Day, a chance for Catholics with great ideas to pitch them to judges. And yes, as Jason said, if this sounds like Catholic Shark Tank, that's basically what it was. Jason has long been passionate about figuring out new and creative ways to attract people to the Catholic faith. So I'm not an entrepreneur in the way that you might think of related to like products. My heart is really how do we think entrepreneurially about new ways and means to bring people to the Catholic Church in all its in its fullness. So throughout my career, I've sort of I've sort of taken on different challenges and different opportunities that sort of have an entrepreneur aspect to it. They started with 350 applications. And the judges that OSV had enlisted narrowed it down to just 12 ideas by the beginning of this year. And even before we got to that top 12, it was a real difficult uh, time to even narrow to 12, to narrow to 24. Each step of the process, people were making it more and more difficult on us to, to, to narrow to what the top three are. I, at the beginning, I thought we were going to look for the best ideas. And certainly that has a, that's a part of it. But somewhere along the process, it became almost less about the ideas and it became about helping form innovators themselves. So the participants, the innovators, um, they may have started with a napkin idea, but through their journey, through the process, that was going to grow and develop. The solution is very hard to implement. And, you know, you the final public day of pitching before the judges was supposed to be in person, but obviously because of the pandemic, it was moved to Zoom. With COVID, it really highlighted and underscored what, frankly, entrepreneurship is all about. We have to be willing to try and fail. We have to be willing to put ourselves out there and take risk. And we have to be willing to pivot. These are things that if you think about how we're going to do ministry in the church, in our parishes and dioceses, we have to be willing to do. We have to try things and be willing for it not to work. And we did that all through the challenge. Many of the ideas they received for the contest were ideas for new and creative Catholic ministries of one form or another. Hi, I'm Michael O'Rourke, father of 10 and founder of Strong Catholic Dad. We've developed a revolutionary new approach to help dads build relationship and pass on the- To faith. have healthy parishes that fulfill their mission, we need healthy priests and healthy staff. Pastoral Parish is here to help shift the focus from your parish on the administrative needs to the ministry needs of your parish. We want to tell all sorts of stories that the church needs to tell. The church is only running on 7% of its potential. How do we grow the 7%? This is why we built Telma. Telma is an ecosystem of digital tools that drives real moments of engagement. Through the sharing of content and data, Telma helps nurture individuals through their unique journeys and unites the evangelization efforts of the entire diocese. Many of them were focused on media, such as documentaries or podcasts. Highly produced narrative podcasting, on average, is significantly more expensive than similar length podcasts. But through this story, we hope to invite people in and outside of the church to take another look and hopefully question a few assumptions along the we way. We see that there's an overall need for something that facilitates Catholic relationships, fills the gaps left by Facebook, and is decentralized, empowering the laity to step up and lead. 
And we believe we have that with COIN, a platform that makes Catholic community easy. Through the power of film, we will reframe our culture's conversation on homelessness by showing us how we're all looking I know you're dying to know who won the contest, but honestly, all the ideas were pretty interesting. And even though most of them obviously didn't win this particular contest, none of them are going away anytime soon. Finally, the judges made their decision and chose three winners that would receive $100,000 each. So this is what it's all about. We're going to be, we're going to, we're going for $100,000. We're going to give three awards of $100,000 uh, each. Drum roll, so let's get the drum roll going. The first winner of the OSB Innovation Challenge 2020 is Catholic Sprouts, the Domestic Church Project. Bill and Nancy, congratulations. Oh my gosh, thank you. Bill and Nancy Banzich live in Minnesota and are parents to five young children. I've always loved studying the faith, even though I never got a degree in it. I just am always going from one book to the next. Nancy has long had a heart for teaching. She actually was a high school English teacher for a while. She loves teaching her kids about the Catholic faith, but like many moms, she's really busy. You know, when you're a high school teacher, you're overworked, you're super busy, tons of people are talking to you and needing things from you all the time. And I had all this knowledge. I wanted to tell them stories about the lives of the saints or explain Bible stories or whatever it is. But life was too busy. I always had a baby screaming at me and people, we needed to get out of the door or someone had forgotten their socks downstairs and I had to run down there. You know, there was never time to do it in a way where I could be in a good mood and they were in a good mood. During this time, Nancy would sometimes put on a podcast for her kids. Just a short little story podcast, usually about two minutes long, that they would listen to while they were brushing their teeth. And it occurred to me, I'm like, well, wouldn't it be cool if this was Catholic? You know, if this tiny little dose of information they're getting each day was a Catholic dose and there was nothing like that. The idea was planted. What if she could record a little podcast for her kids telling them about Bible stories, saint stories, and things like that. She could record it during those few times that she wasn't busy and then play it for the kids later. So she just started making it. So I bought some podcast equipment and I just started recording a daily podcast. So I recorded it for my own family, really, knowing that we can listen to this while I while I scoop out oatmeal. We can just listen to this and then if we talk about it, great. If not, that's okay. So I did it for my family. I put it out there. And when you when you open yourself up to the Holy Spirit, it can be quite the wild ride. And very soon it took off. You're listening to Catholic Sprouts, the daily podcast for Catholic kids that strives to plant seeds of faith. Catholic Sprouts features story-based lessons designed to teach the Catholic faith. And it's already started to take off in a big way. Nancy says they already get about 6,000 listeners every single day. It is August 28th, 2020. It is also the feast day of St. Augustine. This week on the, the Banziches are already in the process of turning their podcast into an entire study program for families. You know, and I never really intended to create materials for the whole family. It's just sort of 
what what stuck, what hit, what made sense. We have learned this week from St. Louis, King of France, who fought in the Crusades. The crisis in the church of people leaving the faith, especially young people leaving the faith, like that, that's a problem. But the real crisis is with the parents, that the parents aren't assuming their role as primary educators of the faith. The faith isn't being passed on. So the idea that now we are the primary educators of our children and we need to do faith education in our homes, it's foreign. So that's what we want to be. We want to be that key piece that's missing in faith formation programs. You know, the the key piece that explains how do we do this at home? How do we talk about things? How do we listen to each other? How do we clear away the clutter in our hearts and our homes so that we can actually have a prayer space? Well, how do we pray together? You know, all those very fundamental questions that are at the moment a roadblock for parents to be the primary educators of their children's faith. The process hasn't always been easy, and both Bill and Nancy have gone through points of feeling somewhat discouraged. We went through a long time of not being sure if we were the ones to address this huge problem. You know, who am I? I lost my temper with my kids this morning. I'm imperfect. You know, a parent can have a doctorate in theology, and then the next parent next to them can never have taken a theology course in their lives. But that the level of their education really doesn't correspond to how faithful their children will be. The biggest predictor is if these parents can speak about the faith with their children. Although Nancy has taken on much of the project all by herself, the pitching process taught her the importance of surrounding herself with a whole team. I just sort of did it on my own, and I even created a lot of resources on my own. And I'm kind of a doer, get it done. Sometimes I can be resistant even to having a meeting to talk through things because I think, oh, I got this. I'm just going to sit down and do it. It was a hard lesson for me, but the most important lesson I've learned is that a team is essential. I need a team. I need um, people with different perspectives. We can't do this on our own. Bill and Nancy already have several contractors helping with the project. And Nancy says the prize money will allow them to hire even more help. They're also hoping to build an app for their project. We have a team of very part-time contractors that do design work and editing and administrative things. And each of them is committed to supporting our ministry in prayer. Um, And it's made all the difference. It's made all the difference. And especially when um, we're able to begin our meetings with prayer and call down the Holy Spirit to be with us, really incredible things happen. But the other thing, you know, of course, that this Innovation Challenge really pushes you to believe is that, you know, the first people that will be formed by your apostolate is yourself. We'll be right back right after this. You seem to think that the crime of heresy means a person committed a sin. I think a person. No, I, I think do. How dare you? Anybody, I do not. I, I think virtually anybody a, has the has the psychological capacity. Slander. I don't think to most the law. People, Ed, to the to law. The law. <laughs> to the law. Welcome to CNA Editor's Desk, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation every single week. Somehow Carl, Carl was playing a game in which he expressed his opinions and still somehow won. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Carl, everybody. 
If you enjoy listening to the best, most informed commentary on the week's headlines from a Catholic perspective, subscribe to Editor's Desk right now. We're on every platform that there is, so just search for us and subscribe. Both of our shows are available wherever you get your podcasts. Again, these are in no particular order. Well, they're actually in alphabetical order. They're not ranked of any sort. But the, the second winner of the OSV Innovation Prize is Eden Invitation. Anna Carter grew up in Minnesota. She's the oldest of her siblings. Uh, Very adventurous, very much tomboy. I was outside until the last possible moment, (laughs) like all summer long. Uh, that That was kind of my life as a kid. Anna grew up in a strong Catholic household. Grew up in a very... A traditionally Catholic home. So we, you know, prayers before meals, prayers before bedtime, Catholic grade school, mass on Sundays. Shannon Ochoa grew up in a Chicago suburb. Honestly, kind of nominally Catholic. Uh, grew up, received my sacraments, uh, close family, uh, all girls. I'm the youngest of all girls. Shannon and Anna didn't meet until after college when they were both working in Catholic ministries. Shannon attended the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and Anna went to Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. They have pretty similar personalities, so it's not too surprising that they became friends when they later met in Wisconsin. But there's something else that we haven't mentioned yet that they share in common. I wasn't super conscious of attraction to other women until high school. Um, You know, looking back, there's certain things that were like tells or that my siblings were like, yeah, I knew. Um, But I didn't know until uh, I was about like probably like 15 ish years old. For me, it was kind of a it it was really surprising. And to be honest, that was a little like disturbing Um, at the time. I was already super involved in like church and youth group stuff. And. This just wasn't a topic that was really discussed at all in those settings. And so I didn't really know who to talk to. I didn't really know what to do. Uh, And so for me personally, I definitely just kind of like repressed it, compartmentalized it, tucked it away. Because I didn't really have many tools to process and I didn't know who was safe to tell. Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl came out on the radio and I was on my way to a youth group event. And was just like shocked because I felt so seen by the song, but then was going to go hang out with all my friends who love Jesus uh, and just didn't know how to process that. Both Anna and Shannon said growing up Catholic while experiencing same-sex attraction was difficult, in part because they didn't really know how to talk about their feelings and what they were experiencing, especially in a church context. For me personally, a lot of my initial sharing was with friends, mm-hmm. uh, with peers, um, and kind of seeking, just having like vulnerability and accountability there. Um, and that wasn't for me till really college, actually, is when I started naming this more out loud <laughs> to other people. And I think to be frank, like when it came to maybe like religious or people that were more formally like representatives of the church, I would obfuscate a lot Mm -hmm. because I didn't really know. Again, like I just didn't know how someone was going to take it. 
So if I did have like, to be frank, like if I had like a sin in this area that I needed to confess, I would totally just obfuscate it <laughs> because I just didn't, I just didn't know what was, it was just felt so vulnerable to name it. And I, I wasn't convinced that I was safe, which is sad mm-hmm. to say, but that's kind of the truth of, of how I was experiencing it at the time. At the time they met, Anna and Shannon were both working in Catholic ministry and what they did next kind of grew out of what they were already doing. For Shannon, speaking about living as a Catholic with same-sex attraction had become a part of her ministry, and she would incorporate the church's teaching on the subject into Bible studies she was leading. Through their separate upbringings and encounters with faithful Catholics in college and afterwards, Anna and Shannon had both made the decision to remain in the church and to live chaste lives. But of course, as everyone knows, Many people who grew up in the church and experience same-sex attraction end up leaving. And many people who identify as LGBT probably wouldn't ever consider joining the Catholic Church. The two friends began talking about what it was that kept them in the Catholic faith, and where the strength came from to live out the church's teaching on sexuality. Part of that discernment process, and that just cracked open this whole conversation of like, this is my experience too. And what, okay, like what, what kept you Catholic? Like, why are you still here? How have you heard it discussed? Like, what do you feel like you would have needed when you were this age or that age? They realized what they really wanted was a community, a group of Catholics who, like them, experienced same-sex attraction and who wanted to talk openly about it to support each other in their efforts to live according to church teaching. Both Anna and Shannon had received good Catholic formation But they longed to be a part of a community of like-minded people, to be a part of groups that met regularly to talk about this kind of thing. Well, maybe they just, like, don't need, like, one more blog, you know? Like, maybe (laughs) people need a community. Um, They actually, we need relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Not just, like, another person telling us information. We actually need places to process that information and to grow together. There aren't that many Catholic ministries doing community specifically for young adults who are same-sex attracted. There's a Catholic apostolate called Courage that provides a lot of great resources, but it's just not quite the same thing. So Anna and Shannon set out to create the ministry that they would have appreciated when they were younger adults. Right now, Eden Invitation is working on forming weekly book clubs, which meet, right now, virtually, to discuss books on various aspects of the human person from the perspective of Christian anthropology, such as John Paul II's Theology of the Body. In addition to the weekly book clubs, Eden Invitation has been facilitating spiritual retreats as well as more casual social gatherings. It's ecumenical and co-ed. They're working on forming more of these city-based hubs, where young adults can pray together and support each other. So what do they actually talk about at Eden Invitation meetings? Well, a lot of it has to do with accepting their identity as sons and daughters of God, while at the same time fostering strong friendships and emphasizing the freedom that comes with living the way God calls us to, rather than an LGBT lifestyle. Both Shannon and myself were formed in a lot of these kind of like whole person, new evangelization spaces that really emphasized human formation, really emphasized relationship with Christ and really emphasized mission and how like that relationship with Christ in the context of community leads you to mission. And so I think that ethos is 
really a lot of what we've brought into Eden Invitation. So it really starts off with uh, just receiving the whole person. So like recognizing your life, right? Not trying to hide it, not trying to block it, not trying to put this in the dark. In Anna's words, living a chaste life means saying no to certain things and instead saying a rich and dynamic yes to what it truly means to be a human being. This is part of my life. It's not the whole of my life. It's not the most defining aspect of it, but it is a part. And I need to acknowledge it and I need to surrender it to the Lord. I need to talk to him about it. You know, I can't just shut him out. And to not feel that this experience somehow traps you, but that really God is calling all of us to just to the great freedom that life with him brings and the life of discipleship can bring. Both Anna and Shannon said oftentimes when the conversation about so-called LGBT issues come up in the church, people with same-sex attraction may feel on the receiving end of the ministry rather than as a part of a community. Shannon said their ministry wants to encourage Catholics and Christians to be unashamed to talk about their experience of same-sex attraction, while also being unafraid to proclaim Christ and the church's teaching. Anna and Shannon said they actually took inspiration from some aspects of the secular LGBT community, seeking to imitate that movement's sense of radical community and joyful witness. But rather than putting these things at the service of LGBT ideology, they want to put them at the service of the church. For example, next June, they want to put out video testimonials from faithful Catholics who experience same-sex attraction in order to counter the many testimonials from people who have embraced an LGBT lifestyle. June, as you may know, is marked as LGBT Pride Month by many cities and businesses, and many people who identify as LGBT create testimonies and speak out about their experiences during this month. You know, June in broader culture is Pride Month, right? It's kind of a big celebration of all things LGBT. And I think traditionally, if the church has a presence in that, it's usually an apologetics presence, right? Uh, it's an argumentation presence, I think, very often. And I think we really feel called just to tell stories, right, of people that are living, like, as Catholics, as disciples in the midst of this experience, and maybe, you know, not without challenges and struggle, welcome to humanity, right? Um, but are, are finding, like, abundant life, right, in relationship with Christ. And um, so we want to film a, a few testimonial videos that we will share uh, in June. Almost immediately after they started the new ministry, Shannon and Anna began to realize just how much people were looking for a ministry like this, a ministry that would allow them to speak frankly and openly about their experiences as a person with same-sex attraction and to support each other in their efforts to live as faithful Catholics. I remember when we first started Eden Invitation, we got on this call. People were coming out of the woodworks, responding to our little baby landing page, and we just had a really beautiful call with about 10 or 15 people just sharing what they'd like to see or why they ended up staying in the church. Um, and it was cool for Anna and I to hear other people naming things that we've felt. Um, and it was just confirmed in other people's experiences. Um, and so we took some of that and were able to, to kind of grow and develop Eden Invitation from there. Helping people to recognize like kind of the whole of their story or, or the, the arc of their life, so to speak. Um, and then doing that in the context of community. So really trying to foster um, good, uh, healthy friendships. This is a co-ed ministry as well. Um, so we really, really encourage like just 
complementarity, right? The complementarity of the sexes. Also ages. I mean, we span probably 19 to like 42, 43. So we're kind of in that all the whole gamut of millennials and getting into Gen Z um, and really just seeing, um, yeah, just the unique gifts that people bring as well. And just trying to, again, foster healthy, diverse friendships and mutual support. When Eden Invitation won the Innovation Challenge, Anna and Shannon said the reaction online was, above all, joyful. And one of the greatest gifts was hearing people from the community saying, we won. Uh, that it wasn't Anna and Shannon won, Eden Invitation won, but just this sense of like, this is a victory uh, as a community. This is a victory as a church. We are members of a church that is from you know a sacramental or a spiritual governance perspective very hierarchical and so some of this like grassroots stuff can seem maybe antithetical to the way our church is structured but i think that's a, that's a not a really accurate way of seeing it you know i think this is actually the role of the laity right these kind of grassroots efforts to say all right how do we transform the temporal world like according to the plan of god like that's our vocation as laity. So if you have an idea, if you have a way that you think you can serve or you see an underserved population that's out there, that's part of who we are as the lay faithful uh, to move into those places with the love of Christ. So if you have that idea, like, yes, like get practical, find a mentor, but also know like this is part of our vocation as the mm -hmm. laity. Like this is part of our uh, just baptismal calling. Go for it. All right, our third winner for the OSV Innovation Challenge 2020 for $100,000, our man from Mexico, Jose and the Juan Diego Network. Congratulations. You won, my friend. You won. Thank you. Jose Manuel de Urquidi was born in Monterrey, Mexico, the oldest of six siblings. His parents had been involved in founding a Catholic community in Monterrey and were very serious about raising Jose and his siblings in the faith. Everything on my childhood was had to do with God one way or another. We were involved in, in a lot of things. Of course, in my family, every day we had the family praying time. We read the lives of the saints. Like whenever they asked me uh, what I was going to be, I, I always said like a, I was going to be a missionary and I was going to be a martyr, right? That's what I wanted to be when I was old. Like many kids raised in a strong Catholic home, Jose eventually and inevitably encountered friends and peers who weren't as well formed in the faith. As a grade schooler, he found it was difficult to bring up and talk about religion with his peers. I, I always had like these two different lives, right? Like the separation, like this very, this very deep uh, Catholicism and me being to be a, wanting to be a saint, a martyr or stuff like that. And reading a lot of, of everything Catholic. But in the school, I, I didn't talk about it at all. Eventually, the friends and ideas he encountered in the secular world presented serious challenges to his faith. Jose would debate philosophy with his friends over drinks, and some of the arguments he encountered rattled him. So I started questioning. I even wrote a dissertation about why God doesn't exist and stuff like that. Around this time, a friend invited Jose to spend the summer in the U.S., in St. Paul, Minnesota, 
with a ministry called St. Paul's Outreach, which seeks to build Catholic community on college campuses. Despite his intellectual questioning of his faith, Jose agreed to go. I, I really decided that I, I wanted to know if God really existed and if the Catholic Church was the way. If God exists and if the Catholic Church was really that way, I would go I would go all in, right? And if he didn't, same thing, because if God doesn't exist, a lot of like morality and a lot of things don't, don't really matter, right? So that's, that's why I went uh, to, to this uh, summer internship program with SPO. Encountering faithful Catholics in St. Paul helped to bolster Jose's faith once again, and he realized he had a heart for ministry. But what next? Jose realized there was actually a lot of potential for ministry to share the Catholic faith in his home country of Mexico. Although some people may view Latin America as uniformly Catholic and pious, Jose says this is no longer the case. Although Catholicism is still very culturally ingrained in Mexico, people young and old are drifting toward a more secular lifestyle, just as many people are in the United States and elsewhere. When I was younger, it was like more than 90% of the country was Catholic. Right now it's like 80 something, I think. In the census, when they ask us, we, we, do, we do say we're Catholic. And yeah, even a lot of people go to Mass on Sundays. Everyone is baptized, everyone, the First Communion, everyone has, a, has a, like, yeah, the confirmation, everyone is married to the Church and the Catholic Church, and that's part of what we are, right? The most important part of everything, of all the sacraments that I, that I just said, is a party afterwards, <laughs> not the not the actual sacrament, right? And and the last thing that most Catholics ever received the formation in the in the faith is yeah when they were forming uh, the the classes the catechism for for the first communion and that's it, right? That's it. We're all Catholic, and you can be doing the worst of sins, mortal sins and stuff, but yeah, tomorrow I'm gonna go to mass, right? Uh, uh, to Sunday Mass or, or have the baptism of my child or whatever. And that's a very common thing that, that we have. For Latinos, being Catholic is about traditions, about doing certain things per year. Yeah, going to Mass, but going to Mass because later we're going to go to brunch or go, go to the abuela's house or because we'll go together because that's what we do, right? Uh, and that sort of stuff. We're not passing even the social part to, to our kids uh, because because it was mostly a social part, right? Like a, a cultural part, being 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 Catholic. Jose began to assess the problem of poor Catholic formation in Mexico, and thought a lot about the possible reasons and possible solutions. Part of the problem, he said, is that there wasn't a whole lot of high quality Catholic media available in Spanish at this time, at least not that Jose could find. We we didn't have that much access to like quality and attractive, uh, let's say, videos or audios or, or even books, right? Like, yeah, translations and stuff. But well, yeah, the good thing is that I read English, right? Things that really talk to us as Latinos. And there, there were not that much uh, back then. It was the stirrings of an idea, but it took a little while for Jose to really act on it. He got married in 2012, and he and his new family moved to Mexico City. Living in Mexico City, as, as you can, as I think everyone knows, there's a lot of traffic, right? 
and I discovered audiobooks and I discovered podcasts. That's what I was consuming in, in the traffic or even when I went, I went to my, my office on a bicycle and I was just listening to this stuff. And of course, they were all in English because I didn't even think that they existed. Something in Spanish, right? But everything I consumed was in English. That's when I discovered. So eight years ago, 2012, that's when I discovered uh, podcasts because of living in Mexico City and being stuck in traffic and, and hating the local radio. We have this very vulgar, vulgar uh, radio. That's the local radio anywhere in Mexico you go to. That's the major majority of the stations. So I didn't want to be listening to that stuff. And that's why that's how I started listening to podcasts. Again, Jose didn't get into creating podcasts right away by any means. In fact, he ended up going to law school. While he was there, he continued to lead Catholic groups and to evangelize. But similar to his younger school days, he found that sharing his faith with his classmates was difficult. With my peers, like with uh, the, other, uh, the other students of, uh, that were studying law school, they didn't even know that I, I was I was like into this whole life and and even I I made up stuff like like I lied about hey on Monday hey, what what did you do last last weekend uh, and and I maybe I had a retreat and I was really lying saying that I that I went into this party or whatever you know like inventing stuff up which is crazy and I really wasn't preaching anything in that part of my life right so it was compartmentalized which is a very typical thing also about Latinos. After law school, Jose did what any law school graduate would do. He started a brewery, which was a really fun job for him. But slowly he re-realized that God was calling him to do some kind of ministry, something where he could put his Catholic faith into action. And I kept being reminded about my, my time in, in St. Paul, about what, had, what I had uh, felt God telling me, uh, and about my, the mission of my life, etc., etc. So I didn't know what, what what I was being called to, and I'm like, so should I start working for a Catholic organization or like? And that's very different, difficult. Also in Mexico, there's not much Catholic organizations that really hire uh, like people who can support a family and stuff like that. It's a whole different world. His mind drifted back to podcasts, which at that time were experiencing something of a renaissance. There's a lot of networks, podcast network for Spanish podcasts, but no, no Catholic podcast. Seeing that there weren't a lot of really cool podcasts or that were fresh and attractive, but also not professionally produced because of the same thing or the money part that, yes, we have to admit as a culture, we don't have the same mindset that you guys have, that you're going to support your alma mater and you, you support the church this way. Jose was part of an informal Catholic men's group at the time, and he mentioned at one of their meetings that he was thinking about starting a podcast. And one of them, like, yeah, let's jump in. I'll help you do it. Uh, and he started as a co-host of this. And he, me telling him and me committing with him on, on let's, do it, let's do this was, was what made it happen. So, with no real experience podcasting before, Jose started recording a show called Platicando en Católico, which roughly means speaking in Catholic. 
It was the kind of show that he himself wanted to hear. A couple of young Catholics speaking openly about their faith and hosting interesting Catholic guests from around the Latino world. Things that are done for Latinos have to address that unique cultural aspects of being a Latino, right? And that's why, that's what we do. Realizing the, the reality of the church in the States, that almost half of, of the Catholics in the U.S. are Latinos now, almost half, and the vast majority of those under 18 are Latinos. For the OSV Demo Day, Jose pitched the idea of the Juan Diego Podcast Network. One of the goals is to help Catholic Latino speakers, authors, and influencers start and maintain their own podcasts at no cost to them. With the grant he won at the competition, Jose hopes to expand the network's podcast offerings with new, highly produced podcasts and through more partnerships with Latino leaders. Started sort of doing some collaborations with these people all over, and we take care of all the difficult parts of it. The creation of the podcast, what format should it be, what duration, the periodicity, uh, the jingle, the art cover, the everything. Like, it seems a very difficult thing to, to, to do a podcast and and what mix should I use and how should I edit or how to, should I just talk and like that. And like all these difficult aspects of having a podcast seem are preventing a lot of people who are creating cool content maybe for other medias and for other, other outlets or platforms, right? God wants whatever is done for him to be very professional, right? And sometimes we, we as Latinos, we don't have that in mind. And that's why we don't pay for a lot of stuff and it's all volunteers and stuff. This whole process has been like a mind shift, a mind changer and a, for me, paradigm, paradigm uh, changer for me uh, in the sense that, that this idea that I knew God was calling me to do and, and, and seeing the reality of, the, of, the, of how Latinos are underserved or, or are not paid a lot of attention to in the States and in the Catholic Church and seeing that what we were trying to do was something that was needed. They also plan to host virtual summits to foster community among Latino Catholics. In fact, earlier this month, they hosted a virtual women's summit with 15,000 attendees. If God's calling you to do something right now that no one is doing or no one's doing that much in the, the church, and that's unique, to evangelize, to form others, to, to get more souls for him. You have to just decide and do it. Jump in. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Jonah McKeown. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host and CNA Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn. We're produced and edited by Kate Oliveira and Jonah McKeown. Our executive producer is Kate Oliveira. Special thanks this week to everyone we spoke with for this episode and to Carrie Klein for helping to coordinate interviews. And before we go, I'd like to ask a favor. Last week, our boss, or, well, our boss's boss, Andrew Walther, died from complications related to leukemia. Andrew was president and COO of EWTN News, the umbrella organization that includes CNA, 
the National Catholic Register, and a number of other Catholic news shows and outlets. Andrew was 45. He and his wife Maureen had four children. In your kindness, please pray for the repose of Andrew's soul and for his family. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thank you.